And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the same place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think? Proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. We're going to answer the question, Who is my neighbor? In fact, that's going to be our one thing this morning, okay? And, and we see it really, that question answered in two places. It's pretty obvious who the neighbor is not, right? It's not. Not the Levite, it's not the priest, though you'd expect it to be. It's not. The neighbor's the guy that, that would have been despised, that would have been reviled. It's this good Samaritan. But that's not the answer to, who, to the question of who is my neighbor. The neighbor is the one who draws near with compassion to share the love of God with the needy. Your one thing this morning is that the neighbor is the one who draws near with compassion to share the love of God with the needy. It's all over this text. We're going to see this text in in three points. The first point will be this. Religious people make bad neighbors. Religious people make bad neighbors. Number two, compassionate people make good neighbors. If you notice that sometimes there's a difference between the religious and the compassionate, welcome to the sermon. And point number three, be like Christ. Point number three, be like Christ. So, uh, this all comes because this, this very self-righteous man, as we looked at last week, this man who is filled with wisdom and filled with knowledge, and he's anything but humble. After hearing Christ talk about how God was pleased to, to bring salvation to the, those who are childlike in heart, stands up and says, how shall I be saved? What shall I do to be saved? Because his whole life is about works. 
It's all that he has done. Well, if this is what the poor will do, if this is what the childlike will do, what shall I do? And it's a test, right? We saw that. It's the same word that, that's used in the wilderness. When Jesus quotes uh, scripture and says to Satan, you shall not test the Lord your God, right? So it's a test. And, and Jesus says to him, well, what does scripture say? And he makes it so simple. Love the Lord your God. With all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Actually, Jesus doesn't even say that. He just tells the man. And what's, it's fascinating because the man doesn't go to, well, I will keep all the Ten Commandments. I shall not commit adultery. I shall not covet my neighbor's donkey. But it all comes down to God, Right? And our relationship. If this, and isn't that crazy? The man answers rightly. It's about relationship to God, but he doesn't have a relationship to God. Which is how we end up here. Because this man has a question on his heart. He says, who then is my neighbor? Right? Uh, verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, says to Jesus, who then is or who is my neighbor? See, he's feeling a little foolish. Because Jesus led him to a very humble answer, not a whole list of things that he must do, but actually who he must love. And this man then wants to know his question, okay? The question the man asks and the question that Jesus answers are different. The man's question is, who must I love, right? Who is my neighbor? Who must I love? But Jesus answered, with how he must love. Please write that down. The great question of the Good Samaritan is not who you must love, but how you must love. That's what it's all about. So we're going to begin with point number one. Religious people make bad neighbors. Verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Here's a religious man. He knows the law. He's feeling a little bit foolish that Jesus answered so simply. And so he's going to ask a follow-up question, right? It's, it's a question that's in their minds. Well, who is my neighbor? Who do I need to love? Anybody here wonder ever who they need to love? Do you, do you find that there are people you like to love and there are people you don't like to love? And do you find that the people that you really like to love are the people that look most like you? No? No, just me? Okay. All right. Uh, it happens to me all the time. It's a struggle, Sometimes it's a struggle to love other people. Sometimes it's a struggle to love other Christians. I love you all. And yet sometimes some Christians are a little harder to love. Do you know that I grow in God's grace more when I am called to love people who I struggle to love than when I love the ones that are easy to love? I get sanctified <laughs> I got a brother in the back going, amen, that's me. 
That's no joke. David and I have known each other for many years. We were not friends. I loved him, but I didn't love him. I didn't love to be around him. That is a grace that he and I are both, and he could say amen to me too. That's a grace we are both growing in. I am closer to God and more like Christ because God many years ago brought David here than I ever would be otherwise. I continue to grow in grace and patience because of David's presence in my life. And David continues to grow in suffering because he has to be around me. That's not a joke. That's not a joke. We are sanctified by each other. But we're not just to love each other. That, that's this guy's problem. Well, who do I have to love? He's got a list, right? So just... This guy's a Jew of Jews, man. This is a lawyer. He's a scribe. He's an expert in the law. He loves the priests. He loves the Levites. He loves the Pharisees. He's not so hot on the on uh, the Sadducees, though, because they're in the you know those are the Democrats of the day. That strike anybody here? Okay, good. You're to love them too. He didn't love all Jews. If you weren't of the right beliefs, if you weren't of his tribe, he didn't love you. If you didn't think what he thought, believe what he believed, ate what he ate, lived the way he lived, he didn't love you. There was an entire sect of Jews at this time called the Essenes, and they taught that if they're not right with you, hate them. Hate them. Revile them. Spit on them. Walk the other way. So it's a really important question. Who is my neighbor? And the question is, who do I have to love? Now, we learned last week that the neighbor uh, in the original Greek just meant the one who's near you, the one who's right there. So if I'm walking down the street and someone's there next to me, that is my neighbor. Now, think about that in context. This man who gets beaten, robbed, if he encounters his robbers ever again, those are his neighbors. There are many, many stories. Nathan shared one recently that I didn't know about Richard Wormrand, where his wife's torturer, they found him in their home. And he revealed to that man, I think you persecuted my wife, and I'm about to go get her. And you're going to see grace like you've never seen before. Corey Ten Boom tells a similar story about how One day, as she was evangelizing after she was set free from Nazi prisons, many, many years later, a man walks up to her and she knows the face. This man was the worst of the worst of her Nazi jailers. And she didn't want to talk to him. And the Spirit of God convicted her and enabled her to treat this man who had been her enemy with grace to treat him as a neighbor. See, if you have Christ, everyone is your neighbor. Everyone. There's no politics. There's no race. There's no gender. There's no ideology. Everyone is your neighbor and gets treated with what kind of love? With the same love you love yourself. And how do you love you? Really well. Really generously, really patiently. 
But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. See, I know that this man was a good Jew and not a Samaritan, the man who got beat because he's coming from Jerusalem down to Jericho. A Samaritan would never go to Jerusalem. We, we saw that in a prior sermon about how they rejected the gospel message simply because they knew that Christ was going to Jerusalem. Their enmity, their hatred towards Jews was so strong that they would never go to Jerusalem. So we've got here a good Jew, a guy that this scribe can relate to, and that man gets beat. And just imagine him hearing this story, right? We know it. We've heard it over and over again, but he's hearing it in real time. And so there's, there's this really good Jew, and he's just going about his business. And some robbers come in, and they, they beat him, and they strip him of everything. Now, that doesn't mean that, that you know, he's lying there naked, but it means they, they took everything of value that they possibly could. Surely they took his sandals. They took any clothes of value. They took his money. They took what's important later, any of his provisions, his wine, his, his cheese, his whatever, okay, and, and left him for dead. And then by chance, this, this priest comes down the road. And, well, if you're, if you're this lawyer, you're thinking, all right, the hero is on the scene. This is the priest. This is, this is the guy who's in charge of God's worship. This is a guy who knows the law. He knows love the Lord your God in this way. He knows love your neighbor this way. Of course, the priest is going to minister to his neighbor. Now, what is a neighbor? It's the one who's near you. And what does the priest do? He doesn't go near he purposely goes the other way. Um, it's this incredible Greek word that literally means you come alongside the opposite way. So you would have been right side by side, but instead you went around. You had to pass generally, but you intentionally went opposite. Can't miss it. So he was walking down the sidewalk on the right, sees the guy, veers left. You can't miss it. Did not draw near, intentionally went away. That very, very religious man who knows the law was no neighbor. And next comes a Levite. And these are the assistants to the priests in God's worship. These guys, they police the temple. They, they handle a lot of the work that happens there. This, again, is a very religious man. Knows this, okay, we had a failure with our, with our first hero. Here's the second hero on the scene. And he does the same thing. Because... Religious people make very, very bad neighbors. These guys have all the right knowledge. They have all the right doctrine. They're worshiping the right God. They're devoted. Their whole lives are about worship. Their whole lives are about service. And what did it, what did it do? So let me warn us Christians. If your doctrine, if your doctrine does not lead you to love, it's no better than, than the doctrine of this priest. If your devotion to God's worship does not, does not include a willingness to serve those in need, it's no better. It's no better than this Levite. If your fellowship, 
If your fellowship with those inside this building does not mean that you have fellowship with those outside this building, then it means nothing. You can say the right things, you can believe the right things, you can do the right things, you can go to the right church, do all the right stuff, but if you don't live with love for your neighbors, if you don't live first with love of your God, then it's just religion. And it's, it's easy to poke at religious people, and, and we think of people in other churches, right? That's where they live. Other church, they're never in this church. They're never sitting in the pew that you are sitting in. Like, they're never sitting in the seat that you're sitting Oh, they're not you. We're never the religious, are we? I have been. I have been. I have had to confess in tears that I did not love someone to their face. Because I did not view them as my neighbor. Because I did not first love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my might. When you look at this text, please see yourself. Please see the religion that lies in all of our hearts. There's a, a quote I've passed out many, many times, uh, especially to young men who are just passionate about doctrine. It comes from a, a pastor named Ed Moore. And he said to his congregation in a sermon once, you know, there are doctrinally sound churches and there are loving churches. And the implication is that there are very few that are both. We don't want to be so obsessed with doctrine and knowledge and all the right things and our personal holiness that we don't love. Right doctrine, if we really have laid hold of right doctrine, will produce right living. It will produce love. If we really understand who Jesus is and what Jesus did for us, we will love others in that way. If all we love is knowledge of Jesus, that does nothing. Think about what James says. He's quoting from the Shema. He says, oh, you, you believe that the Lord your God, the Lord is one? Good, that's good. You do well. Even the demons believe that and they tremble. Where is your love? Where are your acts? Where is your work done in Christ's name for a world that needs to see him and hear him through you? Religious people make bad neighbors. Point number two, compassionate people make good neighbors. Even the ones you never wanted. He begins with a contrast. He begins with the word but. And that's so important because everything is different. We've had the cream of the crop religiously and now we've got a heretic, as far as he's concerned anyways, right? You've got a Samaritan. What is a Samaritan worth? Not much. These are half-breeds. It was bad enough when they were just members of the northern tribes and they'd rebelled, but then they went and they interbred with the Assyrians, and, and all you're left with is this mess. And who are these people? I won't name denominations, but you can name in your head, who are the, who are the Samaritans? Of Tyler, Texas, what churches do they go to? But they may have more love than some of us. But 
a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And there's the contrast, right? So the religious people had all the right knowledge. They had the law, but they didn't have compassion. It never moved their hearts. And this, this word compassion is it's an ugly-sounding word. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. But it literally means that it's coming out of your inward bowels. Like just your, have you ever just cried and hurt so much that like your stomach hurts? Everything just feels twisted inside and there's no peace. And it feels like, how can this ever be unbound? That's the compassion that this man is feeling. And who does he feel it for? He feels it for someone who hates him. Who hates him. Who would not, certainly would not stop and help him. But he is moved by compassion. His compassion is greater than his prejudice. His compassion is greater than his hurt. His compassion is greater than his religion. And so he's moved. And look at what he does. It says he went to him. This is literally the opposite of what the priest and the Levite did. They were passing by and they went opposite. This man passes to him. He comes to him purposely. Who is your neighbor? What is a neighbor? It is the one who is moved by compassion to draw near and share the love of God with those around them. And so this Samaritan is far more of a neighbor than any other. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So let's, let's see what he does here. First of all, he, he goes intentionally to the man instead of going away from him. And the man is a bloody mess, right? But what's he going to do? He's going to bind up his wounds with what? He doesn't have a first aid kit. He's likely stripping parts of his own clothes to deal with this guy's wounds. And he's got this oil and he's got this wine. Where did that come from? Those were his provisions for his journey. So he was on business, right? He's going from place to place. He doesn't have all kinds of time. He doesn't. He, the resources that he has are the resources that he has. But he loves the guy in the same way he loves himself. If he loved himself enough to use the oil and the wine on himself, to eat it, to drink it, to nurse wounds, he does that for this man. He's generous with his material resources. You want to know what it means to be a neighbor? Number one, it means to be compassionate. You have to actually care. This can't be a mental thing. Think about it in terms of evangelism. Evangelism can't just be a mental thing. Oh, I know I'm supposed to evangelize. Oh, let me go say the words. No, you have to actually care about them you have to actually care that they may go to hell and be motivated to go and to share the gospel it's the same thing in the church you know people will come to the church and you're not going to love the way everyone looks as the church grows as new people come as as lost people come they're going to come with the world all over themselves and you're not going to love the way they look You're not going to love the way they smell. You're not going to love the way they talk. But will you be moved with compassion for their soul? Not only to see them saved, but to see them grow in Christ. See, these baby Christians that the Lord will bring, they're going to need discipleship. 
They're going to need to be loved. They're going to need people to bring them into their home and share meals with them and share life with them. Some of them aren't going to have parents, or at least not parents that they have anything to do with or will have anything to do with them. And they're going to need you to be mothers, and they're going to need you to be fathers, and they're going to need you to be brothers and sisters, and bring them into your family and bring them into your life. You have to be moved with compassion if you're going to do that. And you have to be willing to share of your material resources. You, you can't go, well, you know, it's about time for lunch. I guess you ought to be hitting the road. It's, I guess it's time for lunch. Let me see what we got. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So... This man has some kind of a donkey or a mule. The man who's robbed, he might have had one, but he, he certainly doesn't anymore. So this guy mounts him up on his own. So now he's giving up his own comfort. Now he's letting his feet beat the ground, right? And he's leading him to a place where he can recover. So maybe a third thing that we can see about what it means to be a good neighbor, beyond be moved with compassion, share of your material resources, is be willing to be inconvenienced. You're not going to see the lost saved if you're not willing to be inconvenienced. It's never a convenient time to share the gospel, is it? It's not really a convenient time to disciple people. It's not convenient for a family to have others into their home. The kids have got stuff going. We got projects. We got, we got life that we're living. That's not convenient, but it's worth it. It's so worth it. He set him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn and he took care of him. This, this simply means that he has care for him. Obviously, there's the wound situation. But it's whatever needs this man has. This guy's looking after. He's investing. This is, what, the fourth thing am I on? He's investing his, his efforts. He's investing his time. He's investing his mental faculties. He's thinking about him. He's praying for him. He's investing in this guy. This is a matter of time. How long does he do this? Have you done the math? It's about 24 hours. Now, I will find sometimes that I don't have five minutes to give somebody. I sure don't have a day. When was the last time you had a day to give somebody? A complete stranger. And yet that's the example that we see here, right? Verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. Two denarii is two days wages, depending on how much you make. This is anywhere between, I don't know, $100, $400, It's a significant portion of this man's money. It may literally be every dime he has in his, in his pocket. I don't know. But he's investing financially. In this man, what does that look like? You know, it may look like buying somebody a Bible or a book that's going to help them. It may look like helping them with their their needs. Maybe it's buying baby formula. Maybe it's maybe it's buying clothes. Maybe it's buying shoes. Maybe it's putting somebody up in a hotel for the night. I guess that would be a very literal thing, wouldn't it? 
The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So the same care, the same way I looked after his needs, I'm asking you to do the same thing, and I will cover the cost. Right? So now he's providing for his future as well. Are you seeing that that being a neighbor means investing in people? We've got to be moved with love and compassion from within our bowels. If we don't remember who we were and what Christ did for us, we're not going to care about who other people are and what Christ has not yet done for them. You must be moved from deep within by compassion. Right? And then you have to be willing to go to them and you have to give of your material resource. You have to be willing to anyways. You've, you've got to be willing to be inconvenienced. You've got to be willing to invest your time. This investment may be more than five minutes. Evangelism, if we're going to fulfill the Great Commission anyways, do you understand that that's a commitment to this person's life? Go, therefore, to all the, you know, to the nations and, and make disciples, make learners of them, make students of them, teaching them all that I have commanded to you. Do you think you can do that in five minutes with the gospel track? Do you think you can do that in a couple Sunday morning services? Just come to church. No, that's not the answer. It's a matter of, an, it's Tuesdays, right? It's every Tuesday. Investing in people. It's Wednesdays, it's Thursdays, it's people into your home. It's really, really loving them and caring about them because you know that this is what you need or what you needed. You know that this is what someone did for you. So now I'm going to do that for somebody else because that's what Christ would do. You know, and that's why we can't look at the Good Samaritan and go, well, I'm doing pretty good. No, we're not. Because the Good Samaritan ultimately points to Christ. I'm not allegorizing. I'm not telling you the Good Samaritan is Christ. But I am telling you it points to Christ. Christ is the one who had everything and gave it up to give you. He's the one that you despised. But he comes to you. He's the one who invests his time. He provides for your future. He gives it all. The good Samaritan points us towards the goodness of Christ. Compassionate people make good neighbors. Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Think about that. Christ didn't just save you. Christ sanctifies you. Christ doesn't just sanctify you but he, and take care of your soul. He takes care of you, mind and body and spirit and life and compassion and comfort and friends and everything that you need. And if you lack, ask him. And he will give generously, will he not? And he has. See, that's the thing. He's given us the church. This is so much of what the church is to be. So good, we've got this man and, and he was robbed and now he's, he's on his path to recovery, right? He's, he's been saved from, from his dire needs, but now what? He needs to be looked after. He needs to be nursed back to health. He needs somebody to be generous with their time, with their financial resources, with their life to spend days with him. 
And when that man, if you have to go away to make sure he's taken care of. Freely giving all things. We can actually live out the Good Samaritan right here. It's not just about evangelism. We have people in this church who are hurting. No, they're not bleeding anywhere that you can see, but their hearts are hurt. They've been through things and it's hard. And they need somebody to come and spend time with them, to come to them. They're so hurt they can't crawl to you. They may never cry out to you, but will you be moved with compassion and will you come to them? See, churches are filled with messy Christians. And it's easy to just avoid them and walk on and I'll have my clique of my healthy people. And if anybody here gets too unhealthy, then I'll, I'll move over here and I'll have this other group. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, speaking of the church and it being a, a one body, it says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We can't be a healthy church if we have hurting members and we ignore them. We have to come to them as neighbors. We have to love them as Christ loves them. James 2.16 says this, And one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? A hurting Christian, a lost person out in the world, If all we do is just speak blessings over them, but we aren't blessings over them, what good is that? They need more than our words. They need our time. They need our money. They need us to look after their souls. And again, I'll I'll go to evangelism. So you share the gospel with somebody. You think they get saved and then you go on. You've not fulfilled the Great Commission, and you've certainly not been all that a neighbor ought to be. Even if you think you're never going to see them again, will you provide? Will you make sure that they're looked after? It's not going to cost you two denarii. It might cost you some phone calls. You might have to cost you some time on the internet. Where's a good church? Can I connect them with a pastor? Taylor and I have literally had this experience. Of, of encountering people in other cities and them going, you know, what, what church do you go to? Well, brother, we're four hours away from you, but, but give me your number. Let me, let me look up some churches in the area and let me get a, a pastor in touch with you. That's being a good neighbor, caring about them completely. All right. Point number one, religious people make bad neighbors. Point number two, compassionate people make good neighbors. Point number three, be like Christ. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. See, there's something neat here about this word mercy. It's the Greek elios. Uh, I was very curious about this. And so I I went looking it up and, and I found that in the Septuagint, that's the Greek version of the Old Testament, Elios is always the translation for the Hebrew word chesed. Chesed is the steadfast, loving kindness of God. What's he saying? The one who is like God. 
Which one was neighbor to him? The one who loved him the way God loves. The one who loved him the way that Christ loves. Be like Christ. How did Christ love you? Love them like that. It's not dependent on our worth. It's not about what we have done at all. It's the love that comes from within. That compassion that wells up because Christ has made us a new creation. So he says, you go and do likewise. So what's this going to look like? It's going to look like evangelism. It's going to look like sharing the gospel. What does it profit a man if we bind up all of his physical wounds and don't minister the balm of Gilead to his soul? If we give them everything but don't give them the gospel, we've done nothing to help them. We've only sent them off to hell dressed a little nicer. That's the problem with so many churches. It it becomes a lot of self-help stuff, but there's no help for the soul. They must have the true gospel, which is here. Because the truth is, apart from Christ, we are all this man who has been robbed. What does Satan do? He comes to steal and kill and destroy. What does sin do? Sin destroys you and leaves you dead on the side of the road with no one to help. And you can't even crawl your way to help. You can't even call out in your pain and suffering. You don't even know because you're half dead. The Bible says that you were dead in your sins and trespasses. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, because of the compassion, because of the chesed, because of the mercy that he has comes to us. And he picks us up. And he offers salvation. And he heals our wounds and he heals our souls. And he looks after us, not only in salvation, but in sanctification. But brothers and sisters, we must respond in faith. Could you imagine this man lying half dead, looking up, going, not you, you're a Samaritan. Leave me here. And yet, how many people reject Christ that way? No, I I won't take salvation from you. Be like Christ. Share the gospel with folks. And they may not be willing to receive the gospel, but if they're willing to sit down and talk to you about the Bible or about the things of God, do that. Invest your time. Invest a cup of coffee. It's worth it. Pray for them. Tell them where they can go to be healed, where they can go to grow. Be like Christ. Now there are, I think there's some limitations I need to point out here. As we say, be like Christ, as we say, go do these things. This does not mean that it's going to be a good idea for you to go and draw every cent of your bank account and go hand it out. See, that may just be being foolish and and being a poor steward of God's resources. This man who was beat up, his needs were ministered to. He didn't need a car. He needed to be healed. 
There are people out there, they need the gospel. You putting money in their pocket is not necessarily helping them. It may just help them to get the next beer that inebriates their mind that keeps them from receiving the gospel. There are people who will be happy to have you come and help them get their life in order and get all the clothes and get all the things and they don't want God. And what are you doing? You're not actually helping them. Sometimes helping is hurting, right? It's just enabling. How can you know the difference? It's going to require wisdom. Certainly you will encounter people in your Christian walk who are literally going to need their rent paid. And praise God. But not everybody you encounter needs your rent paid. They're rent paid. You don't need to go and do everything for everyone that's not necessarily actually hurting. You need to attend to the needs, the real needs, not the felt needs. First and foremost, it is the soul, right? And I would go beyond that and go, man, most of these folks, most Christians, what do we need in our lives? We need wisdom. We need the word of God applied. They need your time probably way more than they need their money. Right? So, be wise. Be wise in your evangelism. Be, be wise in your discipleship. Be wise in living your life. Be innocent as a dove, but wise as a serpent, right? We want to be discerning. We don't want to be reckless. We may find ourselves injured. Who is your neighbor? Your neighbor is the one who draws near in compassion to pour out the love of God to those around them. And it points us ultimately to Christ who did that for us.